0: Any listeners? You wanna give me a ride to Binghamton? Welcome to the Dead Format. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, the Pro Tour Statistician, Thomas Smiley. And we're here, as always, to talk about the Legacy Format.
1: I have too much free time on my hands, and As soon as I saw that they published all of the deck lists, I was like, I need to know this. And went through and did that data analysis that I posted on Reddit. But before we talk about that, this was... The best Pro Tour to watch ever, period. And I am so excited that I had time this weekend to tune in for the whole thing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. You got to watch it all. I was uh, I was golfing and playing old school at different points, but I tried to listen. I got a little frustrated on the rounds that they started with Modern. I have a lower threshold for Modern than you do, but the legacy coverage I thought was excellent.
1: Yeah, the commentary was wonderful. They made some great changes to make sure that their coverage was better to watch. Now, I know it was the team format, so it made it a little bit easier for them to do this. But the floor team was actually holding matches to begin when another one finished. So Game 1 in the Legacy match would end, and they would cut to a held Game 2 ...in one of the other formats. It made it so that there was almost no downtime. Usually when you're watching a Grand Prix or previous Pro Tours... ...you get to the end of the round and you have that 8-12 to minute countdown... ...where the commentators are either trying to kill time... ...or they cut to commercial. And here, the downtime between rounds was under 5 minutes. And it made it such a pleasure to watch because they were actually showing magic the whole time.
0: Yeah, it was cool, too, because they tried to, it seemed to me like they were trying to, like, maximize suspense. So, like, if one team got out 2-1, to one, they would start with the match where the team that was down 2-1, I'm sorry, the, the, the match where the guy was up one nothing, even though his team was down 2-1, to, like, sort of prolong the match and play it out, you know, the most dramatic way possible, so you're not watching a match that all of a sudden just means nothing.
1: Yeah, it really worked. One of the, the gripes that a lot of people have when it comes to Grand Prix or Pro Tour coverage regarding Legacy is that the commentators aren't super dialed into what's going on. And this Pro Tour was great because one of the top performing teams, Channel Fireball, is very, very friendly with one of the commentators, Paul Cheon. LSV and, and Chion are very close friends. And he had an inside... Scoop as to what was going on with the Channel Fireball deck that we'll talk about later.
0: Yeah, that was super cool. And then also, I feel like Legacy kind of reverted to a place that everyone was comfortable. Like everybody knows Rug Delver. Everybody knows Death and Taxes. You know, like a year ago, we were super caught up in these like small iterations of lists like Pile and Grixis Delver, where you'd have to be super tuned into Legacy to understand exactly what was going on. And we've sort of gone back to a place that I think a lot of people are more comfortable with in terms of, like, the archetypes.
1: Yeah, the commentators don't have to worry about getting dumped on by calling Grixis Delver four-color Delver. Exactly. And and Checkpile four-color control, even though they labeled the Bant Blade as four-color control as well. It's, it's in a much easier place to digest, and uh, I can't wait to talk about it.
0: Awesome, man. Well, yeah. So do you want to lead off with how we did with our predictions?
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy with what our ideas were going into the Pro Tour. There were a lot of things that we just crushed completely correctly, had the idea of what was going on. There are a few things that we missed the position, but we had them in the correct tier. And there are a few things that we missed because we underestimated certain decks, and we'll, we'll talk about all of that.
0: Yeah, so in my opinion, there were three big surprises when you first sent me the meta. One of them is us getting leveled. One of us, I think we were a little bit ahead of some people, and one of them is kind of debatable. Do you want to start with that?
1: What were the biggest surprises for you?
0: So when you first sent me that list... What jumps out at everybody, I think, is there was a total of 21 Eldrazi Chalice decks. I think 14 of them were like Eldrazi Stompy and seven were post or some something like that. But a total of 21 Eldrazi Chalice decks, which I had that at like, I think, number 10. And you might not have had that on your list after playing the deck last week. Really, I expected it to show up. I expect to see like, you know, six of them or something like that. I did not expect to see twenty one of them.
1: I was surprised at the number of Eldrazi post decks that I saw in the field. After running that deck just a few through a few leagues, I immediately felt that it was underpowered compared to the where the rest of Legacy was. But I was very surprised at the number of Eldrazi Stompy decks and not only at the number, but the quality of players that brought Eldrazi. We're not talking about some people who just squeaked into the Pro Tour that might have some budgetary issues and just need to pick up somebody to play Legacy. We're talking about Eric Froelich. We're talking about Kai and it's Just the, the number of people who played Eldrazi Stompy wasn't limited to the people at the bottom. There were some ringers that brought this deck, and I wasn't ready for that.
0: Yeah, when you first messaged me, I was actually on the golf course, and... I saw the number of Eldrazi pilots, and I was like, oh my god, did Budget actually play a part in this? And you were like, no, dude, Kai's playing it. And that's when I realized this was a meta call.
1: And I I think that the people who brought that correctly identified that that was the best Chalice deck. Absolutely. I had played a little bit of Post, and I played a little bit of Loam, and... I didn't like some of the big matchups that we thought that were going to come. And Eldrazi Stompy has a little bit better of a matchup against those decks that I was not looking forward to playing against with the other Chalice decks.
0: Now, what's so counterintuitive about this to me is we didn't expect to see many Storm decks, and there weren't many Storm decks, and yet it seems like this deck did reasonably well for itself and this is kind of in my opinion the creature deck that really is looking for that matchup rather than the show and tell matchup
1: eldrazi probably has a better matchup against storm than it does against sneak and show but if you look at the actual eldrazi lists they were running extra Endbringers. they had things to deal with show and tell and i think that They might have been one level up from where we were, where we put Sneak and Show at that tier zero spot, the deck that people were going in to beat. The natural predator to Sneak and Show is Delver, and we saw a huge resurgence in Delver in this tournament, and Eldrazi sort of preys on that macro archetype as well, even though it doesn't do it as well as it preys on Storm or some of the other decks. I think people who are on Eldrazi might have been expecting that Delver field.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense how you could get there then. So I think that the next most shocking thing is eight or nine, I think it was nine, blue-black shadow.
1: Now, when we talk about the data analysis later on, I think it's a very clear winner with how well that deck performed. And... If you look at the teams that had a blue-black pilot, Shadow, those were very, very, very powerful magicians choosing to bring that deck.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I feel like it was just people who called this meta. And even to like the tuning of the deck, they had this cyborg plan with the, the Throne of Geth. We had acknowledged before that for a bl- straight blue-black Shadow list, chalice was a problem and they identified that they found the best cyborg card and chalice ended up being like 22 or 23 percent of this meta so that i think they they really got paid off for their proper calls
1: well we we talked about how chalice was very highly represented in the field leading up to this tournament and when we actually talked about blue black shadow it got brought up as josh other layton's black blue shadow deck raptor shadow deck when we first talked about it on the cast and it was crazy to see the pilots that we talked about jacob wilson on rug delver raptor on blue black shadow performing to the tune that they did in this tournament
0: yeah it was pretty cool so the other thing that jumped out at me as a surprise was seven blood moon stompy players and looking at what i predicted to show up and what you predicted to show up I think everybody had show and tell either at one or two and death and taxes, certainly in your top five or six decks, usually in the top four or five. So why would you bring Blood Moon Stompy to a meta where you're expecting to see over 10% uh, sneak and show and almost 10% death and taxes? I don't know. Yeah. It's surprising, right?
1: I have no analysis for that. I, I wouldn't.
0: I would not either. Yeah.
1: That's when... We were talking about what we expected to show up. I didn't think anybody in their right mind was going to bring that deck.
0: Yeah, maybe it was like some sort of leveling game where they expected to beat the decks that were going to beat the decks. I don't know. I don't know. Because it does beat Eldrazi,
1: you know? Sure. I mean, if those people correctly called that Eldrazi was going to be the third most played deck, then more power to them. But Death and Taxes was right behind it. So if you're going to call the Eldrazi metagame correctly but not predict death and taxes, I don't know what to say. Yeah,
0: I don't know, man. Maybe there's just more Zach Turgens out there than we expect. I don't know.
1: You're going to have to ask him because when I saw the number of people that were playing that deck, I, I winced a little bit. And when we talk about the, the team performance based on what legacy decks were chosen, you're we, going to see that that probably was not the right choice for this weekend.
0: I, I don't think it really worked out for them.
1: No, they got, they got fucked up. All right, anyway.
0: So, so you want to talk about the things that we were both right about? That's, that's fun.
1: Yeah, it's always, it's always nice to go back and see the predictions that you made that were right, even though a lot of people would have predicted the same thing. Absolutely. For me, I had the first two, but I had them in a switched position. I thought Sneaking Show was going to end up being the most played deck mainly because I thought a lot of the people who ended up bringing Eldrazi would just bring Sneak and Show. And the num- the increased numbers from Sneak and Show would come from the Eldrazi pilots. Uh, and I thought that Grixis Control was going to end up being second. Those were switched. So I had one and two, both correct. And you had those two decks in your top three.
0: Yeah, my, my first epic was Sneak and Show, Grixis Control, and I had Miracles at number one. Because I inaccurately predicted that the Snap Plow macro archetype, like the blue-white decks, would be entirely Miracles because I love playing blue Stoneforge decks, and I wouldn't have brought a blue Stoneforge deck to this this Pro Tour. Uh, So I assumed that a lot of those pilots were going to move to Miracles, and you correctly assessed that there would be about a 50-50 split of Miracles and Stoneblade. I think you had them at like three and five, respectively.
1: I did, yep.
0: And so, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was a good call.
1: Thank you. And we, we all hit on sort of the next tier of representation with Rug Delver, Death and Taxes, and Grixis Delver being in that next group. And that was exactly what happened, except for us sort of skipping the third most played deck, Eldrazi.
0: Yeah, the Eldrazi really caught us by surprise. I had also in my second tier the seventh overall deck in my rankings and possibly in the overall Red Black Reanimator. I felt like that was the, the high variance deck of choice for this tournament.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to see the... The pilots who chose to play it weren't really the ones that needed to swing for the fences, not the the players who might be new to the format on a smaller team. Pascal Maynard, Jarvis Yu, Lucas Esper Bertude. The the number of red black reanimator players that basically took all of their cues from Eric Landon were huge. And it wasn't it wasn't a deck choice made by people just looking for high variance. They thought that was going to have the highest win percentage for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I can see how you get there. Like, looking at this meta, you know, you want to beat Sneak and Show, right? And you want to get under a lot of these other decks, and you want to have a reasonable Delver matchup. So I can totally see how you land on Red Black, and it makes sense to me to see it where it is. I agree. So then I guess the, uh, the Tier 3, which we were admittedly a little shaky on, because I felt like between, like, eight and like thirteen, you know, they could have fell wherever.
1: The separation between the ninth place deck and the sixteenth place deck were a pilot or two. So one or two changes either way and you you can see you can see what would happen.
0: Exactly. So we had uh we we both had infect correctly in there. And then I think we both had lands, right?
1: We did, I think we both had lands in ninth place and there was only one lands pilot that showed up to the pro tour and that sort of makes sense when we talked about how sneak and show was that first level that lands might not be what you want to bring if you expect a high number of sneak and show players
0: yeah i'm still surprised at one though i would have thought that you'd have like three or four like it's similar it's very similar in my mind to the storm macro archetype where if you have an expert of that particular deck you'd let them play it
1: yeah but we had we had lands experts playing in this tournament that chose not to bring it and jarvis posted his testing and his notes from the time that death shaman was banned through the pro tour and you can see his thought process going through. Lands didn't warrant a ton of consideration after some of his performances early on.
0: Well, that's super interesting, and that makes a lot of sense then. So, what else did we have rounding out? I think uh, so. I had Eldrazi in that third tier, and I think you had uh, Bug mid range, maybe.
1: I did, I, and this was this was kind of a gutsy call. I said that I thought that there was going to be a team that sort of defined and refined that Bug archetype because i thought it attacked the top decks fairly well and there were actually two people that brought a bug mid-range deck one person did very well and it's interesting to take a look at those two decks i thought that there would be a few more people on it but again if you have one or two more pilots on that deck we're talking about the deck approaching top 10
0: yeah absolutely And then I had given an honorable mention to Steel Stompy, which actually did show up in some numbers, maybe like uh, three or four pilots, right?
1: It did. And uh, again, there were more people that played that deck than I thought. Looking at the results and how everything performed, I think that going back, maybe those pilots wouldn't have chosen that deck, but it definitely showed up.
0: So I still think that it's the better Chalice deck against Death and Taxes. Which is kind of like a weird meta call to make between Eldrazi and Steel Stompy. But it looks like Eldrazi had the better results, right? It did. And that makes sense. And then I guess Four Color Loam was the other deck that showed up that we had talked a lot about in recent episodes, but neither of us put on our list. I really didn't expect to see it.
1: Well, we correctly defined that it was going to be good against the decks and awful against Combo and if you have sneak and show in your 1 2 or 3 spot it's going to take a lot to bring that deck to a field like that with so much on the line
0: absolutely so then another thing that i think we we called pretty accurately was that rug would be a higher representation than grixis delver but that grixis delver would perform better than rug
1: yep i think those were those were the exact words we used and we saw that we saw Rugg show up in higher numbers, have some people put up good results with it. Again, we, we actually mentioned Jacob Wilson and Rugg Delver, and he was the last Rugg Delver player alive in the tournament. But we saw Grixis perform much better. We saw John Sukenik running back a very similar build to what he won the Classic with, do very well with his team. In fact, losing their winning in -in for top four to play on sunday and finishing up in seventh place i believe so great job to him i spoke with him a little bit on saturday night and on sunday after the pro tour and he was very happy with his deck he is one of my favorite people to see at tournaments when i travel he's super positive to be around and it's really nice to see people that you like do that well.
0: Yeah, I'd have no problem rooting for him. He seems, you know, super cool. Cool as a cucumber when he's playing. And uh, really fun to watch. I agree. And it was really cool, too, to see that his deck kind of developed along the lines that we were thinking, which was cut a true name, move in on Bitter Blossom. It looked like he made a switch that kind of surprised me, which was Thoughtseizes to Inquisitions. I just recorded with Leaving Legacy a few minutes ago, and Jerry mentioned that it might have been a nod to the life loss from Bitter Blossom. That's as good of a theory as I can come up with.
1: Now, it might have been. Also, when you look at the differences in cards that you're going to take with Thoughtseize and Inquisition, most of the time, that difference is Jace and will.
0: Or Grizzlebrand, right?
1: Okay, against Sneak and Show. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, against Reanimator. Eh.
0: And in this field, Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher.
1: I I think that the Grixis Delver deck probably has a good enough matchup against Sneak and Show. And the Inquisition hitting a cantrip is probably fine. But the difference between Thought Season Inquisition usually is how much you care about Force of Will, which is why you really see it in Storm decks. And Force of Will isn't very good against Rug Delver. Most pilots are taking that out. And if he, he identified that his life total was important, then I can see that change. I think if I was going in, testing right at the beginning, those would definitely be thought seizes. But obviously he saw something in testing that made him switch.
0: Yeah, I'd be super interested to find out what that is. And I think that I I could have seen landing on like a two two split. Because ideally, like you'd want to draw one of each and not risk losing like four to six life from thought seizes. But I do think it's just, you know, objectively the better card if you're gonna be seeing that much Eldrazi. I agree. So yeah, it's interesting and yeah, if you talk to him again, I guess uh ask him the question.
1: I I will ask him tonight. Remind me, and we'll make sure that we answer that in the podcast next week.
0: Sounds good. As far as other things that, that we noticed, a low percentage of Storm, a low percentage of Elves, that's kind of in line with what we expected. And the, kind of the outside decks that we've been speculating about since this podcast started way back when, five weeks ago. In fact, Aggro Loam, Death Shadow, Grixis Delver, and Eldrazi. They all perform pretty well. And that's like when we first started looking at this meta, those are the decks that we kind of gave the go-ahead to.
1: Yep. now you were much bigger on Eldrazi than I was. And I was very, very kind of soft on Agroloam at the beginning too. I've warmed up to Agroloam a little bit. Maybe I've warmed up to Eldrazi. I, I still don't think that that's something that I would want to bring to a tournament. People obviously disagree with me though. And I think that in fact... Infect is something that, with this shift, I would be hesitant to bring to a large tournament.
0: Bro, so I was kind of thinking is Blue Black Death Shadow just the better Infect deck?
1: There's more interaction. Your lands and your powerful spells provide the life loss that the Infect deck's pump spells usually provide. So it's more card efficient. To play your Thoughtseize and cycle your Street Wraith and Fetch Shock to be able to play a Pumped Death Shadow, than it is to spend a card or two on Berserk and Invigorate.
0: Exactly. And, like, we're in that Discord. I'm sort of following along with, like, the Infect sideboard plans. And people are talking about cards like Hooting Mandrills and True Name Nemesis. And I look at this Death Shadow deck, and they just already have Grimag Angler as like your plan against, you know, the fatal pushes of the world. The hyper removal. Like they already have creatures that fade removal. And I think that maybe it just might be a strictly better version of infect at this particular moment.
1: Yeah, I think I think when you make that argument, you can you can pull me to that side. But there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions on the internet and it's really important to be able to filter out who has actually done the work and who was just spouting some stuff about true names in the sideboard of Infect or whether or not you even want to do that. Like you said, switching decks is probably just a better idea at the time than if you are so afraid of the Grixis matchup that you're devoting a certain number of spots that, in my opinion, aren't even that good against Grixis.
0: Yeah, man, but, like, the Grixis matchup deserves fear from the Infect seat. Like, I, I saw playing infect like, a week and a half ago or whatever, but that's just such a miserable matchup. And I, I understand how these people have been sort of tortured into thinking about cards like True Name Nemesis. Actually, someone brought up Standstill, which I thought was super interesting, but, um you're really grasping for straws at how to fix that matchup and whether it's even
1: worth fixing. It's not worth fixing. Here's the thing. If you are playing Infect and you are going into a tournament, you are most likely not going to beat Grixis Control. You can devote five or six of your sideboard slots to beating Grixis Control, and you are still probably not beating Grixis Control. Not every matchup is fixable, and you don't want to sacrifice your sideboard slots for the rest of the field on a matchup that you're barely going to be able to get back to sub-50%.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I agree with that.
1: All right, so let's talk about what we were wrong about.
0: This is the real fun. All right, I'm going to start with Blue-Black Shadow. So we talked about it going back a couple weeks, about it being soft to chalice, and did you run Grixis Shadow through
1: a league? I did, and the mana base gave me some issues being cut off of a color against Rugged Delver and other Wasteland decks. I did not test the Blue-Black Shadow deck at all, but we both correctly identified that Chalice was something that was just very, very difficult for that deck to deal with. If you look at its converted mana curve, there's a lot of ones, and Gurmag Angler is the only threat that you're realistically going to be able to cast that does not cost one mana.
0: Yeah, and the way that I felt like dealing with that problem was that you had to choose between adding green to the deck or adding red to the deck. But it looks like Channel Fireball found a third way, which maybe is the best way. The results certainly seem to bear this out, which is uh, Throne of Geth.
1: I had to look up that card. I knew that I remembered the card and that it was from Scars block. But going back and taking a look at why they chose to include it is genius. There's a reason why these players are just way better than the average person. The average person just never would have thought of that. You play Throne of Geth against Eldrazi, and you tick it up to two, and it shuts down their Eldrazi Mimics and their Umizawa's Jites. The fact that they included that card over Ratchet Bomb was also genius, because ticking it up to two stops all further Chalices on one as well.
0: Yeah, and I'd seen in the past Infect decks playing Tezzeret's Gambit, and I'd seen once in a while also a deck playing Steady Progress, but this deck, uh, I don't think it reliably gets to three mana. I think you need a two mana solution, and personally, I wouldn't have had the stones to go to guess Verdict, I would have just gone with like two to three Engineered Explosives because it's more versatile of a card. But they clearly had, we want to beat Chalice, and we think that there's going to be enough Chalice decks showing up that we're going to devote these sideboard spots to this card that has this one application. And they, they were right.
1: They did the same thing with Dread of Night. They devoted exactly three sideboard slots to a deck... That, or to a card that really only had one application, and they correctly called that that deck would be there a lot. The Channel Fireball team deck building for Legacy was so impressive, and they correctly called the meta, built their main deck and sideboard to fight it, and clearly, clearly were ahead of the field.
0: So, yeah, it looks to me, looking at their, their deck list with the three Dreadonites and the uh, two Liliana Last Hopes, that they expected the, the Swords to Plowshares decks, which are typically the decks you're afraid of coming from the Death Shadow Seat, to be Death and Taxes. And we did see a decent amount of Miracles and Blue White Stoneblade, but Death and Taxes did outnumber them. And. I think that it absolutely was the right deck for this tournament. I, I don't know if it's, like, you know, the strongest deck going forward, though.
1: Well, I think it's going to depend on how a bunch of stuff shakes out. But the Lily of the Last Hopes aren't just a house against death and taxes. They are so good against the Grixis control decks as well. Because just being able to pick off the value creatures that Grixis is putting out is a huge game.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I was considering them in relation to uh, Blue, White, and Miracles, but that is a good point that they're they're really good against Strixes.
1: Yep. And Snapcasters.
0: Yeah, another thing that I think that we were wrong about was overall, I guess, blue share of the meta.
1: I mean, were we?
0: I think so. So Eldrazi showed up. Maybe this is just another way of saying that Eldrazi overperformed, right?
1: Well, if we look at the whole meta, we are at 75% blue decks, if we take a look at the field. And I think that's fairly close to where I thought it was going to be going into the Pro Tour.
0: So, one thing that we didn't really talk about last week because of power outages and just general inebriation was the macro archetypes for this tournament. I'm not sure if we even discussed this, but I had it broken down into five. Like Grizzlebrand decks, Daze decks, Chalice decks, blue black X, mid range decks, generally Grixis Control, and Hate Bears, like your your death and taxes sort of decks. And I thought that they would all be relatively evenly represented when you spread it over the entire meta. And it kinda looks like that's how it wound up.
1: Okay. I'm not super into the whole macro archetype thing i like to, to break things down a little bit more specific. Maybe you can lump the Delver decks together. Maybe you can lump the Chalice decks together. But it, it did seem like it was fairly evenly spread amongst what you said.
0: Yeah, so basically the point that I'm trying to make is that this seemed like a very healthy metagame.
1: Oh, I agree with you. And watching the metagame breakdown and how the tournament played out, you could see exactly that except maybe for some of the prison decks.
0: All right, cool, man. So you actually were able to watch the majority of this Pro Tour, and you also, as a math teacher on summer vacation, had some, some time and some will on your hands to break down the data.
1: Yeah, so I, I like to prepare for the tournaments that I go to, and I'm going to be lucky enough to be able to go to Richmond at the end of the month. And I don't really get a ton of time to play Magic, so when I have a tournament that I'm getting ready for, I make sure that I spend my time preparing. So breaking down the data from this Pro Tour, even though it was a team, was something that I was going to do anyway. And on Sunday afternoon, we got a gift. Wizards published every single legacy deck list. So not only did we get the full... Metagame Breakdown, we got each individual legacy player's decklist. Here's what I did, and I just want to make a disclaimer, because I posted this data in a Facebook group and got some comments by some people about how, you know, this data doesn't mean anything because it's a team event. And that's wrong. Here's what the data is. It is each team... And their number of match points at the end of the tournament plotted versus the Legacy Players decklist. So, Legacy Players decklist, team points. Now, obviously, when we take a look at team events, it is possible that the Legacy player lost every match and the Standard and Modern player won. So, a team with 27 points could theoretically have a legacy player that had zero. But here's the thing. This isn't a Star City where we only have the top 16 deck lists or the top 32 deck lists. We have everybody's. So we're not just looking at the top performing teams. We're also looking at the bottom and everything in the middle. And for decks that have large enough pilots, sure, there are going to be some legacy pilots that outperform their team. And there are going to be some that underperformed. But if you average them together, the larger the sample is, the more it's going to trend toward the average. What I mean to say is the legacy performance is correlated positively to the team performance. So when we look at all the data, you can draw a rough estimate that shows how the legacy seat performed. And when we do that, when we break it all down by archetype, we see some things that pop out that really tell the story of the tournament for me. And what I saw watching, it just sort of quantifies and solidifies what happened during the tournament. So here's what we found. There were quite a few decks that only had one or two pilots. Merfolk, just guy standstill maverick lands that performed well merfolk had one pilot their team scored 30 points if we were including them in this list it would be the number one deck
0: bro it also got second at the challenge or the yeah the mtgo challenge too like i'm wondering about merfolk but anyway continue
1: fish fish might be something that you want to spend some time looking at but there wasn't enough of a presence for me to put it in the list that I made so number one we had blue black shadow now the average blue black shadow team had a little bit more than 26 match points that means if we round the average team that had a black blue shadow player finished 9-5 and now that's pretty good Because that's the average. There were quite a few teams that had more. There was one team that I believe Sam Pardee played where he finished with 12 points. But Black Blue Shadow was the breakout deck of the tournament. And if you actually watched and you looked at the data, you would see that that was the breakout deck. Now, number two, it was Grixis Delver. And when we take a look at those top two decks and we take a look at what happens later on down the list, we see that the Delver archetype overperformed. And in the field that happened, Delver was the best for the Swiss. All right. At number three, we had Death and Taxes, which ended up winning the entire tournament, actually putting two pilots into top four. And then Eldrazi Stompy, which actually had the fourth, final 14 so i think what happened with these sort of top four performing decks is sneak and show was the target going in and delver preyed on sneak and show and death and taxes then preyed on delver and that's why we see those decks performing at the top the fourth best performing deck was actually Eldrazi stompy and i think we can sort of liken its performance similarly to death and taxes with the decks that it was playing on and that sort of makes up our tier one our sort of here are the decks that broke out from the field and performed extremely well in this tournament then we have sort of the the middle group decks that put up some numbers but when you average them had quite a few good performances quite a few poor performances and And those decks were Grixis Shadow, Miracles, Blue-White Stoneblade, Infect, Black-Red Reanimator, and Grixis Control. That was sort of the tier two. The decks that lumped between 21 and just under 20 match win points.
0: I would rather put Grixis Shadow in like an aggregate group in the first one, because I think there were only three pilots, right? And... it's basically grixis delver in, in the way that it plays out but that's like that's neither here nor there that's just a nitpicky thing
1: okay no i mean you're probably right so we group we group grixis shadow with the delver decks and we have that sort of top billing as the delver variants not rug death and taxes and eldrazi all right then in the next tier we have the blue white control decks the other blue control deck, and the sort of good choices for combo. So, Miracle's Blue-White Stoneblade, almost identical performances, right after after Grixis Shadow. And then, very close together, Infect and Black-Red Reanimator. Right below that, we had Grixis Control. So, if we take a look at those top ten, we see those... Kind of together. And now we start to break down into the decks that maybe didn't perform as as well as people thought. And I'm going to start at the bottom and sort of work our way up. The last two decks that were ranked were Eldrazi Post and Mono Red Prison. Meaning, if your team played Eldrazi Post or Mono Red Prison in the legacy seat, you were least likely to win matches. I think we both correctly identified that those were not decks that we would bring to a tournament, especially this tournament, and the people who chose to bring that to the Pro Tour seemed to be punished by it.
0: Yeah, and this was a no-cuts Pro Tour, correct? So everybody played a total of 14 matches?
1: Yeah, everybody who didn't drop.
0: So this is like a 5-9 and sort of deal?
1: It is, yeah. Yeah,
0: so it's basically the inverse of the top decks.
1: Yep, and really, we can group four-color loam with those decks. Those are the bottom three. Those are the non-stompy chalice decks that just sort of got bodied in the tournament.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Now, right above that are two decks that I'm sort of surprised to see at the bottom. Not as much Rug Delver, but Sneak and Show. Based off of the data that we have, Rugdelver and Sneaker Show performed just barely above those three prison style decks. And Rugdelver makes sense to me because we both identified that it was underpowered and people would be prepared for Stifle. And maybe Stifle wasn't as good in the metagame as people thought. But Sneaker Show performing so poorly as an archetype really sort of shows that we were right about its position going in. People put a big target on that deck and played decks to make sure that they dealt with Sneak and Show. It was a rough tournament for Sneak and Show.
0: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all to see Rug where it is. It's kind of what I expected. But to see Sneak and Show there, that does surprise me. Even though people were gutting for it, it just has that raw power. I kind of wonder if maybe part of this wasn't just people picking up the deck because they couldn't decide on something.
1: Okay. I mean, there's definitely the argument for the Blue-Black Shadow deck that its performance was based on the pilots and the teammates of the pilots. If you look at who played Black-Blue-Shadow, Raptor, LSV, Sam Party, a whole bunch of ringers who were teaming with a whole bunch of other ringers. So when you see black blue shadow as the top performing deck going forward, you do have to understand that in an individual tournament, not everybody's going to be Josh utter Layton and not everybody is going to have Ben Stark and Martin Yuza as teammates.
0: Hall of fame.
1: It's a hall of fame team. One, won my fantasy draft crushed, crushed everybody
0: get out of here bro ben stark's my
1: i mean you were 10 points away if you want to say that's close
0: yo i didn't take juza because i thought james was gonna take him i literally left him for him and then he didn't take him so i would have been like one point off you i think
1: okay okay
0: whatever you won congratulations enjoy your grizzle brass all right did you leave the new england old school magic group
1: I did. I, uh, I don't even have my uh. old school deck built. I know. You tagged me in the reserve list thread today. Yep. And I was just like, I fucking, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm done. I fought my last battle. I can't, I can't engage with people about this anymore without actually getting angry. So I'm just going to leave.
0: Bro, it's so depressing because I always loved the old school group not taking that side of the reserve list debate that like the other forums typically take. And then today they just pulled a one eighty on me, and the majority was like, "They need to abolish the reserve list." Like in a fucking old school chat, I was like, "Is this seriously happening right now?" Like, "Where's Tom? Where's my backup?" Because I'm not, I'm not diving in.
1: You are on your own in that fight now. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry, bud.
0: I need some blood pressure medication.
1: I already have it, and I still had high blood pressure. I was on the fucking max dose. <laughs> <laughs> They were like, how many milligrams of lisinopril are you taking? And I'm like, 40? And they're like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you need to de-stress, man. That's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> so, uh, another thing that I wanted to touch on real quickly about the sort of innovations in deck building were the Death and Taxes players' innovations to fight Sneak and Show. Like, there are some people that just think... Sneak and Show crushes Death and Taxes. They have no chance of winning. Just, you don't have to worry about that matchup anymore. But we're seeing people drop Brightling for more Palace Jailer. We saw a four Revoker build beat triple Dread of Night. Triple Dread of Night! And I'm really excited to be in a meta that I think is very well balanced between Delver and Death and Taxes and other archetypes.
0: Bro, I, I don't want to call that innovation with the Delver deck or with the Death and Taxes decks, because really what they did was revert and there was this meme that was going around last week that was like the uh the why am I losing to Sneak and Show now from the perspective of a Death and Taxes deck. And it was it was just like their starter kit. (laughs) It was three Brightlings. And then there was an alternative version that that was like four for X and Revokers and it was like the Drake, no, I don't want those, you know. (laughs) Because like, why are you playing two or three Brightlings right now? Like it's it's not the card you want against Strix, you know, you want
1: A mirroring Crusader? A mirroring
0: Crusader, exactly. And it's not the card that you want against show-and-tell. You want, like, your Sanctum Prelates, your Phyrexian Revokers, you know, your Hate Bears, your traditional Hate Bears from when that matchup was considered reasonable for death and taxes. And I feel like this was just a reversion to that, to actually attacking the meta that's real.
1: Yeah, when, when people get new toys, they like to play with them. And I can see a lot of people trying Brightling because the card is new. Maybe I used the wrong word when I said innovation, but the ability to identify that the sneak and show matchup was important and they needed more revokers and Palace Jailer was such an exciting card to watch on stream, even when it sort of backfired against a Death and Taxes player and the Monarch passed to the Black Blue Shadow deck.
0: Dude, those were the best games to watch.
1: They're, they're also the best games to play. I, I think that the Legacy that was featured on stream was clearly more exciting than the other formats, and hopefully Black Blue Shadow, being a strong deck, can draw more people into playing Legacy, because uh, this is the best format, even though we're calling it Dead and the title of our podcast is The <laughs> Dead Format.
0: And the graphic of our podcast is Two Zombies with a Walking Dead Format.
1: You know what? That that art is sick. Shout out, he's Venezuelan. I had to PayPal his money through like three different people to make sure that he can get it. Edu Patila on Twitter did some amazing work for us. And I really hope their economy recovers yeah, I hope, I, hope, I hope he's fine.
0: And honestly, who could have predicted this downturn, right, for Venezuela?
1: We don't, we don't need to. We're not going <laughs> to.
0: Moving on.
1: Yeah, we're done. we're done with that one. So
0: what was your favorite match to watch?
1: Ah, there were so many. Watching John play in round seven of day one, the match that would determine who would be the undefeated team, was one of my one of my favorite ones to watch because I was really pulling for him to win. Watching the finals between Raptor and Wu, that was excellent. There was a game where Raptor got his life total so low that even though he had triple Dread of Night, he lost to a Phyrexian Revoker. Yep. The whole weekend brought me back to when Magic was new and exciting to me. The interviews that they had with all of the people who were the original playtesters of the game and, and Garfield and the old pro players that have been around for a really long time just sort of filled me with a feeling of joy about how much I love playing this game. Now, I don't love all aspects of it. Like I said about Facebook groups before... But actually showing up to an event and seeing your friends that you might not get to see all the time because they're from different places, but you're all traveling to the same event is just what makes this game great.
0: So I think what you're trying to say is uh, an old adage in the rap world, which is uh, hate the player, love the game.
1: Is that an old adage?
0: Or Actually, it might be the other way around. It might be a love the player, hate the game.
1: We might have to look that
0: up. Yeah. But anyway, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And the Silver Showcase just had me swelling with joy. Like seeing that Shivan Dragon hit the table as the last card opened in that beta booster. Uh, or seeing that, that Arabian booster with the Shalazad uh, and the Bazaar of Baghdad. Uh, and seeing Amaz play against Sifka in the finals. Actually, Sifka took it down. Okay. That was, that was some of the most amazing shit I've seen in a Pro Tour uh, setting.
1: Going into it. I was super down on the whole idea. And watching the draft was painful to me. I thought the draft was the worst part. It took way too long. There was barely any excitement in the opening of the cards. Seeing people spend half the time grabbing the beta basic lands was, was just a deflating shit show. But the actual gameplay, when they actually played their matches out, wasn't as bad as I thought that it was going to be. Dude,
0: it's awesome. It's all relative, right? It just becomes this, like, slower, super mid-range control sort of game state that I think is really fun. Like, honestly, it, it kind of resembles if you were to just turn your deck over and match up cards with them. Like, oh, my terror takes care of your shiv and my blah, blah, blah. Like, it plays at that sort of pace where you're sideboarding specifically on a card for card basis. And there's a lot of leveling that goes into it and you're playing it at a pace that you can really, you know, get your game plan online. Unfortunately, there are a few cards like karma that can ruin that overall. I think the pacing is great.
1: I mean, it was just like, it was pestilence and fireballs, right?
0: That's part of it.
1: Yeah. So uh, you, you take a look at that format And that format is still trash. But watching the games play out was better than I thought. But really, when you took a look at what actually happened, it was everybody takes their X spells and splashes for those. And hopefully you have enough powerful cards to make an interesting game. It was nice to see people play walls because walls were relevant. And I remember playing Wall of Swords way back in the day. And having it just blank Sarah Angels for days. But it's not... It's a magic that is great to watch for people who are already invested in the game. And for people who played then. It is not a great magic to watch for new people. So if Wizards understood that going in and say said, Hey, we're going to spend this amount of money for our players who have been around since the beginning... That's great. I don't think that's what their goal was, and I think they failed at their goal of promoting magic to bring new people in because the viewers for the Silver Showcase were half of the Pro Tour stream.
0: Bro, when I was watching it, it was 17K.
1: Okay, so most of the Pro Tour stream was 20K, and the Pro Tour topped out at like 30.
0: Okay, alright, Th- then yeah.
1: When I was watching, the Silver Showcase was somewhere around 10. And it seemed to me Silver Showcase was much lower than the actual pro tour, although I could be wrong about that.
0: For most of the drafting portion it was above 15 but anyway okay. I, I do agree that it failed in that regard and I thought it was interesting that like a lot of these streamers that they had weren't actually like rehosting it, which I kind of expected to happen but I guess it wasn't part of their contract I don't know but anyway, I did notice, though, there was this other angle, which was actually they were pushing Arena super hard during the Silver Showcase stuff, mm-hmm. and it kind of seemed to me like they were trying to get the old school crowd, like the the super invested crowd, the nostalgic crowd, onto Arena, and that was an angle I hadn't considered at all. And this is probably like the best way to go about doing that, like you know, to get their eyeballs and then push Arena down their throat.
1: Sure, but then those players are going to get Arena, sign in, and then play one match, and quit Arena like I did in the beta.
0: Yeah, but then they can still count them as new players on their next quarterly report. Uh, I'm fucking with you, bro. I'm sorry.
1: You're absolutely right. That's why I sighed. I'm sure that they are trying really hard on Arena, but I logged into the beta, I built a deck, I queued up for a match, and I played against somebody who had a Tier 1, 4 of everything, like three or four games in a row, and then I just I deleted the client and logged off. If you're going to pull people in to play a game like that, you have to have a matchmaking system that works, or people just aren't going to play it.
0: I listen to the MTG Goldfish podcast. That's like the most mainstream content I consume, I'd say. And I think they have actually tweaked the matching algorithm, where it takes into account how many Mythics you have in your deck now.
1: Okay, well, whatever they are doing, hopefully it's an improvement. And I'm not going to play any more of the beta, but I'll get it on launch, and I will see if it's something that I'm interested in. But for me to take my time to grind through in the beta, that's, that's just not something that's Reasonable for me to do.
0: Yeah, there's no chance that I'd actually do that. I just want to be able to pay for my deck that I want to play and play it.
1: Mm, But here's the thing: like, I don't want to have to pay for paper and Moto and Arena. I I have mana traders that I pay for. If I want to play Standard Magic, I will just fucking play Magic Online. Anyway. Yeah,
0: I like Magic Online. I don't know, man. People don't like it, but I.
1: I also like Magic Online, but it's more for the enfranchised player that wants good competition and wants to test real Magic. And even though Arena is real Magic, it's it's not something that you want to go through to test for paper tournaments.
0: It's not real limited, bro. It's like all crazy.
1: Yeah, I... Uh, I don't know. There are, some, there are some major problems with it.
0: So... When I was just talking to Jerry and Pat, there was something that they brought to my attention that I had not heard about. Supposedly, Ely Cassis is putting on this $1,000 buy-in tournament in Biggest New York. The
1: High Rollers. You know about this? It's a split format, modern, legacy, vintage with proxy. Yeah. Yeah. I asked my wife whether or not she would okay me doing that, and she was like, absolutely fucking not. You're not spending that amount of money on a fucking buy-in. So I'm not.
0: Damn. I thought you were going to give me a ride there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I believe me. I want to go. And I think that I think it's going to be an awesome event. Hopefully they stream it. But that's a tough sell. If I was single, I'm there. But I don't I don't control my money completely. (laughs) So,
0: yeah, this is basically like the event that I've been wanting to happen since I started playing magic again, where I was like, when I first got into Magic, I hadn't played in 15 years. The reality of my life had changed, and I was used to playing poker and betting hundreds of dollars on matches of golf, and I was like, wait a second, we're going to this F&M and putting in, like, $5 and playing for, like, $20 worth of credit or whatever? Like, this this seems like an utter waste of my time. And over the past four years, my perspective has kind of shifted to, like, think that that's, like, a reasonable thing to do, but... Ultimately, that sort of high-stakes event is what I was looking for years ago, and now it's actually happening, I guess. I mean, if people show up, right?
1: So people are going to show up. There's a huge buzz around it. Are you going to play? Can we get a dead format podcast player in this pool?
0: Of course. I just, I really don't want to play modern at all, but I guess I will. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: who else is going to play? The only person that I I heard about from our uh, podcasters group chat is that I guess Bob is going to play.
1: Bob is going to play. My friend Marius from Virginia is playing. Who else did I see? There there were a bunch of people who I saw on Facebook really excited about getting there to play. So I know two people personally. Shit, man. So
0: maybe I should like lock up my spot tomorrow.
1: I, I believe that you should.
0: Fuck, I'm going to have to get a modern deck.
1: You're going to have to get a polo shirt for our podcast.
0: Yeah, man. I'm really looking forward to this. I wonder where Binghamton is. Is it near Albany?
1: It is. Oof. It is quite further away than Albany.
0: Fuck, really?
1: <laughs> it's sort of southern New York near the Pennsylvania border. Probably about double the distance from us to Albany.
0: You gotta be fucking kidding me. Dude, I always forget how big New York
1: is. Yeah, it's a long-ass state.
0: Oh, that's middle of fucking nowhere New York. Jesus Christ, that's almost Columbus.
1: There you go. Oh,
0: fuck me, man.
1: You're still gonna go play, though. You said it on the podcast. You have to.
0: I'm not going if I don't find a ride. I'm gonna say that right now. So, any listeners? <laughs> if you wanna give me a ride to Binghamton? holler at your boy. <laughs> There we go. I'll go as far as Hartford.
1: So where can people get in touch with you if they want to tell you that they can give you a ride to Binghamton?
0: Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter at ian18125. And you can also uh, send us an email, deadformatcast at gmail.com.
1: You can find the podcast on Twitter at deadformatcast. And if you want to get in touch with me, because I am not in any Magic Facebook groups anymore... You can hit me up on Twitter at TSmileyMTG. Awesome, man. All right, that's a wrap.